Hello. Hi, John. Hey, Dan. Hey. Hi, far away, Dan. How are you? Hi, close up, Dan. I'm here now. <laughs> in the same, we're in the same I, room again. Yeah, I feel like I'm in that episode of uh, Sesame Street where Grover is doing near, <laughs> near and far. Near and far. Near and far. So how how are you doing, King Neptune? Near and far, near and far. How was your Fourth of July? It was pretty good. It was pretty good. I'm uh, I'm not usually. It's been years and years since I wanted to be anywhere near a fireworks display, and a big part of that is that it just attracts the whole mass of mm. people all together, crowded in the sun. And these days, right that yeah. You have to assume that everyone's vaping. Mm. That, that wasn't a thing. You know, the one thing about back when marijuana was illegal, people still smoked it, but they were discreet about it. But now, Jesus, they're just blowing their vape on you all the time. That's not what people, went, that's not what people want, I've found. No, no, there's got to be a new there's got to be a new etiquette that takes over, but it's yeah, we're in transition. So we'll see. Uh, marijuana is not legal here in the state of Texas, uh, and even even so, they just passed. I was just reading over the weekend a new law that has been passed that uh, that makes uh, vaping in indoors in restaurants and parks and places like that now you can't do that. Yeah. Maybe this is that seems you know in advance of I don't know if we'll ever get marijuana legalized here in Texas. I just I think we'll be the last state to do it. It does seem that it's not like right up in your wheelhouse, but you know, did you read that article? There was an article recently describing the two Texases, hmm. the two Texi. One of them being the um the little sort of liberal enclaves that happen in all the Texas cities that right. are all very, very progressive and very uh, forward thinking and also liberal and smug. And then, the you know, then the, the vast outlying territory of Texas, which is, as we all know, what we uh, <laughs> what we laughingly refer to as Texas. Right. The, um, the Texas that we that we kid about. And uh, those two Texases now are, according to this article, starting to 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 post against each other. Is that your experience? Yeah, I, down I there? think that I think that is. Um, yeah, actually, that's that's pretty accurate from what I've seen. In that, you know, I know I know people who are uh, fairly liberal and are consistently upset that here in Austin, you know, that they're they're surrounded by they're surrounded by red. And, um, and that concerns them and worries them. And I can tell you from my travels around Texas, and I've traveled quite a bit within Texas, that universally um, people are pretty nice here. And that, oh, yeah. that that doesn't really change when you get outside of Austin and go into the small towns or in between Austin and Dallas if you stop different places and check things out, that and regardless of where their leanings are politically, um, the, the, the fewer people who live in the town, the nicer the people who do live in the town are. And they're very welcoming and they don't, there's something about Texas where, you know, there is, there really is that spirit here of whether it's the, um, 
you know, you all can go to hell, I'm going to Texas or, you know, come and take it. Uh, you know, there, there are certainly a lot of NRA towns here and, and yet the people who tend to have those kinds of beliefs are some of the very most tolerant and accepting people that you'd meet anywhere. They, they don't want to be bothered and they don't want to bother you. And if the thing that you're doing doesn't hurt them, by all means, you should do it. And, uh, and, and that seems to be the attitude more than other places that, and, and for that reason, I, I put Texas more in the Southwest than I put them in the South because the places that I've been in the South, the deep South, Louisiana, Georgia, Florida, um, they, there's something about people in Texas. They don't seem to get very, they're not very threatened by others or other opinions. They may be steadfast in their own. They may disagree with you, but, uh, this is my land and you can step off because this is where I'm going to be doing stuff I want to do. And there, that, that spirit is very prevalent here. Whereas in other parts of the South, um, there really is, that's wrong and we need to stop them from doing that. And, and you don't get that so much here in, in Texas, unless I've just been reading it wrong all this time. But yeah, I definitely do see that. Um, there is that here in Austin, is, which is a very liberal place to be. Um, things, things definitely come to a head here. And I feel like, um, I feel like it's an interesting place to be. But why we don't have yeah. like legalized marijuana, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. Because on the one hand, like everything about Texas is, you know what, you can do what you, you can do what you want to do. Just don't hurt anybody. And you would think that that would go along with like the legalization of marijuana. It's like, hey, what you want to do in your house? There's no problem with that. But there is also, I guess there is some, some vestige of a bygone era that makes people say, you know what? No, we're, we're not quite ready for that here. Yeah. Well, marijuana leads to harder drugs, Dan. That's one thing. I've heard that. I've heard that. Lead you right, right down that primrose path. <laughs> is that so? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing about drugs, Dan, that you have to realize is that it's marijuana that leads you down that path and not being over prescribed some, uh, painkillers because of right. a minor injury you once sustained <laughs> and then continuing to take those painkillers long, long past the point where they were, where they had any medical right. justification. Yeah. That's not the primrose path that leads you into drug addiction. No, it is marijuana. Right. The killer, the killer drug, the killer weed. Mm. I predict that Texas, it, because of something you're, you just described the, the Southwesternness of Texas. Yeah. I think the Colorado wave will infiltrate Texas and that, that marijuana legalization may come sooner, sooner than you think. Hmm. But then again, I'm not on the ground there, Dan. I don't know. I don't have the, I don't have my, uh, my rectal thermometer in Texas quite the way you do. Right. To be taking its inner internal temperature. Yes. Yes. That's right. <laughs> I don't what, know. I think, it's, I think it's dumb. I just think it's really, really dumb that, um, you know, well, and it's not like I'd be the first in line to go and, and start smoking marijuana either. I just think it's silly that it is some kind of, they perceive it. So, you know, I find, and again, we, this is like the age old 
argument. Mm-hmm. I, I know so many people whose lives have been disastrously affected by alcohol. Yeah. And I'm not going to say, oh, alcohol's worse or better than marijuana. It's just, it, they're, they're both substances, aren't they? And Well, they, no, Dan, I think it's safe to say that alcohol is worse than marijuana. I, I don't I have a lot of go, firsthand experience with it. Right out on a limb and say, no one ever beats their kids because they smoke some marijuana. It doesn't, no well, one I don't have the firsthand experience, but I, I, I think what you're saying is true. That would be my gut instinct yeah. that it's correct. You cannot really smoke yourself to death like you can drink yourself to death i mean this is not to say there there are a lot of marijuana apologists right who will sit and bore you to tears telling you that it's not addictive and they will bore you to tears telling you about how blah 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 blah. there are a lot of people that really really are on board a certain kind of train with pot where they want you to believe because they're trying to convince themselves that it is harmless effectively harmless right that they you smoke it and it's and it just enlightens you and it just relaxes you it's a mild sort of uh medicament on the level of having a uh you know having a after work cocktail or something right. and it's not Mar- marijuana is powerful stuff not not in the any single dose smoking pot one time is not going to do anything bad to you but par- marijuana is a habitual drug habitual users do suffer i think over time suffer tremendously from their dependence perhaps not because i know there's somebody listening right now that's like dependence but it's not a per- per- potentially not a physical dependence but absolutely an emotional dependence on marijuana and and i mean a psychological becomes- dependence is a real thing it absolutely is, but I but I would I would go further and say emotional dependence, right? Or maybe not further. I would make a distinction because yes, psychological dependence, absolutely. But but you know, an, an, it becomes an emotional crutch. That said, alcohol is one thousand times worse. It is like absolutely a poison. It is a, uh, and the thing is, ninety nine percent of the people or ninety percent of the people. Use it in moderation. They just poison themselves a little bit every day, and <laughs> right. that is fine. They don't get in trouble. They don't go. They don't crash their cars. They don't hurt their families. It's fine. Poison yourself a little if you like. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel a little dizzy. That's wonderful. But there's no comparison. But the thing is, Dan, marijuana. I mean, I, you. I'm guessing we're not reading the editorial page of High Times Magazine in 1980 like I was. No, no, not as much. You know, it's it it isn't now it seems like what the shucks, you know, why the heck are we still doing this? But there there have been people that served I mean, that were sentenced to life in prison during the three strikes you're out years for marijuana infractions. You know, mar- the 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 fact that marijuana has been illegal for the last 60, 70 plus years, it has destroyed so much just the illegality just the billions we've spent on mm. the interdiction of marijuana smuggling and the and the the mil- hyper militarization of the cops that started about pot and became about cocaine but you know the the justification that the cops used to become a military force 
around the idea of initially pot, you know, the, the war against pot has been a, a criminal enterprise. And I mean right. that, that the, that the government has been criminal, right? It's done awful, awful things. And now we've, we've legalized it here in Seattle and look, I don't smoke pot anymore. I did a lot. Obviously I don't now because that's because I haven't I had any now. drugs in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But we have legalized it now here in Seattle and it has done, it has had absolutely zero negative effect except for the fact that people now think that they can vape in parks right? <laughs> uh, with, with impunity because it's legal, you yeah. know? And it's like, yeah, it's legal, but there are kids around here and you're a fucking stoner. Go fuck off. Right. right. But, but other than that, which is a, which is a minor social infraction being committed by young people who have not learned to have, uh, who have not learned empathy for others. All, all the legalization of pot is doing is it's just flooding money into our tax base. Right. It's a whole, it's a whole new thing the government can tax to put, you know, books in schools. Right. And uh, the people that are smoking pot are the ones that probably would have been smoking pot. I mean, it's like no problem. It's so easy and it's so just like done deal. We don't have to think about it anymore. That's what it should have been all along. And that's what it should be everywhere. Uh, and it will be. Because Texas is going to look at Washington and Washington, you know, Washington and Colorado are really crowing about it. Mm -hmm. They're still, they're still a little bit embarrassed, <laughs> but eventually, you know, it is, it's a little bit from a government standpoint. It's like, well, we legalized pot. I mean, it's kind of what the people wanted. I don't know. You know, it's a little embarrassing considering how many Southern sheriffs are still standing with their arms crossed at, at a crossroads, busting some teenagers. Yeah. Like it's still considered, you know, like a drug. But when Washington starts reporting like, well, $20 billion in tax revenue this year from marijuana, all those states are going to go, what? Mm -hmm. And you didn't have to do anything? No, all we had to do was write some stupid laws about how the pot stores couldn't be close to schools. Right, right. I mean, the, it's so wonderful, the fear the fear, the idea that that there are still dealers with trench coats standing across the street from schools, handing out joints. <laughs> it's like it's in their heads. So when we're when when they were talking about like, all right, we're going to legalize pot in Seattle, and we're going to build stores that sell pot. Well, immediately they're all well, not around schools and churches. Yeah, okay, you're right. Not around I mean there are bars everywhere. But like sure, we don't want a pot store near a church. And then they made these concentric circles around like here's here's a pot store. Here's a place we could put a pot store. Now, we're going to put a circle or they weren't concentric, but we're going to put a circle around a church that says like 5,000 yards or however far it was, 500 yards around a church, 500 yards around a school, 500 yards around a daycare, all these places that we've determined we don't want drugs. Mm. And it turned out there were only four spots in the whole of downtown Seattle where you could even conceivably put a pot store because the overlapping circles of all these different no drug zones mm -hmm. just basically excluded it from everywhere. But the first pot store they built on Capitol Hill was right next door to a church, right next door. <laughs> it was just 
you know, it's a traditionally African American church and somehow the city felt like, I don't know exactly how the guy got away with it, but the whole, and the, 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 uh, the, the deacon of that church and the congregation are furious. They're like totally offended. Mm. And also like, what the fuck? I thought we had this no church thing. Mm -hmm. What is that? Why does that not apply to us? Just one more example of a, of a sort of double standard, let's call it right in the, in the enforcement of the law. Anyway, I, I do, I feel like marijuana legalization is going to sweep the country and I don't even say that as an advocate of it. I just say it as, although I am, I just say it as an inevitability. Come on. What are you guys doing? You're, you're, you're missing the boat. Get over yourselves. Our first sponsor today is Pitney Bowes, makers of the amazing send pro. This is a thing that lets you ship stuff. Send Pro. It has three times the features of stamps.com and it's one third the price. You can print stamps from your computer, lets you save time and money. And you don't need any special equipment. You don't have to wait in line at the post office or anywhere. It even lets you compare shipping rates and delivery times between USPS and other major carriers so that you know you're always getting the best deal when you ship stuff. Maybe you're going to ship stuff to John Roderick. This would be the way to do it. You can uh, print uh, paid shipping labels. You can track your shipments all from one place and they even have special rates for SendPro users. Saving starts at three cents per stamp. They made a special URL that you can go to to visit and learn more. PB as in peanut butter, pb.com slash roadwork. When you sign up, you will get SendPro free for 90 days and you will get a free 10 pound scale. And when your trial is over, you'll get SendPro for only $5 a month. Now, here's a question. It, does the scale weigh 10 pounds or does it weigh things up to 10 pounds or both? It's a mystery. And the only way to solve the mystery is to sign up for Pitney Bowes Send Pro at pb.com slash roadwork. And it'll be yours for only $5 a month after your free 90 day trial. Thanks very much to Pitney Bowes Send Pro. This is the way to send stuff, folks. I'm not, I'm not making that up. This is the best deal going out there. It's a great offer. Thanks very much to Pitney Bowes and Send Pro, pb.com slash roadwork. You know, I remember when, when, I, was in, um, when I was in San Francisco, uh, there was a guy in, the, in the, like, the park area. And, you know, I, I smelled somebody smoking pot or weed, as the kids say. And I, I was like, oh, like, that's totally pot, right? Like, that's, I'm not confusing that. And the person I was with is like, no, 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 that's, that's definitely pot. And I'm like, why are they not being arrested? Like, why do they have the, you know, the audacity to, to just flagrantly some sit there smoking? And like, well, it's yeah, just, they're doing pot right there. Right there. And the, the, my friend's answer was, well, it, it's not like it, it might not be legal to like buy it and sell it, but like having it and smoking it is not, not a problem here. And this was, yeah. I don't know, five years ago. And I was, I was very surprised to hear that. I didn't realize that at the time. And, you know, since then we've seen so many states legalize it for different reasons. I think Florida even has it legalized for medicinal uses now, which is what they always do first. That's kind of the test. Stick their toe yeah. in the water. Well, make it 
You gotta get a prescription for it. Yeah. Ludicrous, but yeah. But you know, like there are, they have done many, many, many studies on cannabis and CBD and other things like that. And, and THC for that matter. And there are tremendous medicinal benefits for it. Many, many legitimate reasons why uh, taking it would be helpful for people who are, who are sick for in one way or another. And you compare it again, compared to alcohol and there's no medicinal benefits to alcohol that, that I know. I mean, yeah, there's this thing comes out and says, Oh, maybe red wine might help your heart, you know, and, and things like that. But you know, I, I just, I feel like we're still in this country and when it comes to things like this, we're still in the stone ages. Um, the stone ages. Yeah. The stone ages. That's exciting. That's exciting. But not in a cool all of way. Them. All of the ages, yeah. all of the ages. Of stone. <laughs> stone, the stone age. <laughs> mm. Uh, well, <laughs> there are several time periods in this, in the stone age, stone ages. Within, yeah. Within the stone <laughs> age, there were many stone ages. There were. <laughs> I uh I I think that alcohol has a lot of medicinal use but I but I extend it to because we we talk about like what is it what is it enlighten me what does alcohol help you with uh, Well I mean alcohol is an emotional medicine I mean the thing about d- drugs and alcohol is that it that it is being transacted that whole your whole relationship to intoxicants is being transacted in your emotion in an emotional language in right. your emotional life though they are uh they're anxiety medications they are relaxants they are um disinhibitors that's how we use them mm-hmm. and a lot of the time the drug is actually having a physical action on you that's opposite what you think mm. right like we think of cigarettes as being like, oh, I'm going to relax and have a cigarette. Well, a cigarette, like tobacco actually increases your heart rate. Right. Like it doesn't, but if you measure, if you measure what your body's doing, it's not relaxing you, but to go have a cigarette is somehow it's emotionally like, a thing that. Right. Like psychologically or, or emotionally it's relaxing, but physically yeah. it's making your heart beat faster and your lungs work harder and. And yeah. then alcohol is the same. Pot is the same. Like if people say, oh, you know, pot really chills me out or like that guy's really chill because he smokes a lot of pot. But pot really actually creates a lot of anxiety in you. Like being stoned is a much more anxious state than being not stoned. You know. How so? And I'd say this. Well, it just is the experience of being high. It is an experience of like <coughs> often – of a heightened, I mean, certainly heightened awareness of different things, but Mm -hmm. also, I mean, like one of the number one things that happens to one of the number one counter indications of pot is paranoia. You get paranoid. Right, right. That's a THC part of it, right? Very strongly paranoid in some cases. Mm -hmm. That is not very relaxing to feel paranoid. Um, Also, I mean, the, the fact that pot sort of interrupts your, interrupts a linear process of thinking and turns it into a more fractal process makes it very, very difficult to do things. Like I used to be a short order cook and a habitual pot smoker, but I could not smoke pot and be a short order cook because 
the what what being a short order cook required of me was right. There's toast over here. I've got two eggs here. I'm chopping the the makings for a salad while the nachos are cooking here, and it's all gonna things are all gonna start coming up like ding ding ding, and I'm gonna have to flip the eggs, butter the toast, you know, pour the pancakes, make the salad, and you, you know you're doing it all with a kind of uh, cooking short order is just like uh, spinning plates on a, on, on poles, right? right and sure. you just have to walk around and keep them all going. And pot was absolutely not a friend to this job. If I smoked pot, I was in there just like, whoa, the eggs. <laughs> oh, check them out. And the toast is burning. And I'm like, Oh, that's right. The salad. And I'd move over and start like crafting a salad and the pancakes are on fire. <coughs> like I just couldn't, my brain couldn't, um, do that sort of multi level, uh, sm you know, s like intricate tasking that I needed to do because it was because pot had affected it. Right. And turned me into a different kind of creature that was much more ready to focus on a, on a thing or get creative about a thing. Right. But at, but you know, and if I, if I was sorting BBs into little boxes, <laughs> it probably would have been fine. Right. So, so when pot has that effect on you, right. Even if you are just sitting around, uh, working on something creative, it, it is interfering with the, with a higher level sort of list list making that your brain is trying to do. Um, and it's why you're, it's why stoners forget their wallet mm -hmm. all the time. It's why, it's why we have this idea the, the cliche of a stoner is just like, Whoa, man, you know, the carpet really ties the room together. And it's like, what are you talking about? That's <laughs> not what we're talking about right now. Uh, and that's a, and that's a great it's a wonderful state to be in but it's a mistake to to describe it as a state of relaxation it's a state where you you have heightened awareness and heightened abilities in some respects but it's not you don't use pot just to and the thing is people emotionally do they come home and they're like oh my god i got to get high or i want to get high and just like leave the cares of the day behind mm -hmm. And they sit down and they get high and they watch TV or they watch a great movie or they listen to great music or, or whatever. They work on their craft and it feels like the effect it's having is it's a conduit to relaxing. Right. But the drug itself is having a different effect on you than, than just simply like t washing your cares away. And it's all happening, all of this stuff, all the drugs – it, it's it is uh, massage they are massaging our emotions and we let them have authority over our emotions we we put we put things in boxes within drugs and we say like <clears throat> i had a terrible day at work today and i am and i could sit here right now and process that I could sit here in my chair and think about what happened today and and examine what went wrong and take responsibility for the thing that I did that started that situation or 
Conversely, realize I'm in a bad situation with someone else and start making plans to get out of it mm-hmm. or whatever. We could do that kind of <clears throat> processing. But if we come home and say, I'm going to get high. I had such a shitty day. I just need to like unwind and have some have some drinks or have some buds or have whatever. What we're making a choice to do in that situation is <clears throat> to not sit and process what happened, but to put that processing through a through a pretty dramatic filter set where we sort of chemically alter our emotions. And then, at least in my experience, that processing, that necessary processing of, of our daily experience doesn't happen or it happens through a filter but that filter doesn't translate back to normal life you don't process it through a drug filter and then the next day it's waiting there for you on a tray uh, well processed and ready to reinsert into your into your normal emotional life and say like okay today i'm going to go in and and deal with this situation based on this excellent processing that I did last night while I was stoned and watching the movie. <laughs> right, right. And so what? And so what? When you describe drugs or alcohol or all those things as escapist, at least in my experience, over time, habitual use of those things to be your emotional process helper. The, the long-term effect is that you're actually not doing the processing you need to be doing on your, you know, you're not doing the work you need to be doing on your, on your own life. You know, stuff happens during the day. You don't want to think about it. You go get fucked up at night. The next day, more stuff happens. If you had worked on what happened yesterday, you might be a little bit better equipped to deal with what's happening today, but you didn't. And so now it's now more shit is happening. You don't want to deal with that. You go home and get fucked up. And it sets you up over time to just have not, you're just not doing the work. Uh, that, that I think in most cases we don't think of as work. You just come home and you're like, oh, today was shitty. And, but you are thinking about it. You are processing. You're right. doing work. Right. And so what you get is people that are alcoholic or, or pot addicted, let's call it, or addicted to stuff. And over time they get older and older and they just have, they just don't develop maturity, emotional maturity. Mm -hmm. So they become less and less dependable. They become more and more sort of fragile or brittle because as it goes they're they get you know they're also confused why are th- why is this happening to me you know why is my why is everybody against me or why is my life you know and but it doesn't they're, but they're not conscious of why that's happening they just feel it as a as a growing pressure from outside right but those but those things are amazing medicines for that same reason <clears throat> they do allow you to to um, sidestep or or take another take on what 
uh, on what's happening in <clears throat> what we call like, or what you, I'm describing in this term, in these terms as like actual life, right? Right. Stuff that's happening above the, sur- just ab- above the, 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 uh, the red line. This actually happened today. <clears throat> this person actually said that. I actually felt this about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would never, ever, ever take back all the drugs that I have done. I, I, I do not, in all the things that I look back on and regret, I don't regret any drugs that I did. Not a one. Um, they provided a lot of insight. Uh, the experience of of living with them, of listening to Prozac, but also listening to mescaline, mm. um, and listening to <clears throat> all the stuff, even stuff that you know, no, nobody ever says, "Listen to the crack." <laughs> like the, the crack typically is not a, a thing you're encouraged to listen to. Right. It is telling you things. Um. But even crackheads will discourage you from listening to crack. It's giving you bad advice. But really, with the with the distance of time, you know, I'm glad. I'm st- I'm still able to listen to crack a little bit. Mm. You know, I'm glad that it happened. I understand now. Um, a lot as a result, and I'm grateful for the for the exposure to it. Right. But it's in its habitual use that all the that all the cascading waves of shit start happening. Do you think is it possible to um, to not smoke pot habitually? Is it possible to do it occasionally? Yeah. Oh yeah. Why do you think so many people? I shouldn't say so many. Why do you think some people fall into the habitual habit of that? Is the same reason as with, with alcohol, just it, whatever feeling they get, they like it. They want it. They want it more simple, simple answer. Or is there something magical about it? I think, I mean, all drugs have a, have a same effect. The, the, The thing about like, we put a lot of stock in this, in the difference between physical addiction right. and whatever else, you know. Um, but physical addiction is a very, I mean, we are primarily emotionally addicted to all drugs, including crack. Mm. There is a physical addiction in the sense that you have um, real physical consequences when you stop using it. And like powerful cravings, but I had, and I know a lot of people, I mean, I know, I know a lot of people have very powerful physical cravings for pot. Um, and they, it's not your body, I guess it's, it's like a, it's a moot point or a, or a, a, uh, like an, an unimportant distinction. I would I would go out on missions and I would scavenge the town, ringing mm. doorbells, knock, you know, <laughs> trying to find somebody with some fucking pot today. Who's got the pot? <laughs> and, it, you know, there are dry spells where nobody's got any pot. And you, you're like, do you have any pot? No, I don't have any pot. Like, burn a whole day. 
um, in a state of tremendous agitation, mm. trying to find some freaking pot <laughs> and whether or not that's being driven by a physical or emotional need mm. is unimportant. Effectively, right. I am walking around town like a zombie looking for pot. I mean, um, so, so the, so those distinctions, which are distinctions that are, I think only useful in a lab context and only sort of, uh, only interesting in a lab context. Well, it disseminates out into the world and people use that information to make, to, to say all kinds of things like, Oh, this is physically addictive. This isn't, I was physically addicted to that, but I wasn't to this. And it's right. like, whatever, What's man, the difference? fuck you. Addiction is addiction, yeah. right? Well, you know, yeah, it's, it's complicated and multifaceted, but yeah, right. I mean, I was no less, no less addicted to one thing than the other. Right. But um, in terms of like why people become habitual users, it is a good feeling. <clears throat> you do start making room for it. You know, you smoke pot or you get drunk and you're like, that was amazing. And then a month goes by and then it happens again with, you know, the same friends and you're like, wow, this is fantastic. And little by little, those friends become the friends that you do that stuff with. Right. And then pretty soon, every time you're with those friends, you do that stuff because those friends are no longer just the friends you do that stuff with, but they're the do that stuff with friends. Right. You know, you make that little switch first. These aren't the friends that you smoke pot with. These are your pot smoking friends. And pretty soon, you know, you're hanging out with them and, and it's expected that, that that's, you're going to be your activity so that when you go over to hang out with those people and there is no pot that time, you're like, what the fuck? Where's the pot? <laughs> and that little transition then, you know, through them or through, or through other ways, you meet another set of pot smoking friends. And by hanging out with two groups of people, smoking pot starts to be normalized. You start to feel like everybody's doing this, right? This is what people do. You go over and you smoke some pot with people. And, per, you know, and just it's just gradual like that. And then you go hang out with your old friends and they don't smoke pot. And you're like, oh, these guys are squares. Um, because they seem really like out of it or on, you know, like they're just not down because right. smoking pot does, it is like, it does have an effect on you. You come out the other side, like, Whoa, I know some shit now and hang out with people that don't smoke pot. You do feel like sometimes they can be a little bit cornier than you used to think they were. Um, and the same is true with, with getting drunk. The same is true with everything. You just. You make you carve out space for it, little by little, until until that's the little fort you're building. Right. And the people that don't are like, yeah, I smoked pot. It was really fun, but I've got other stuff to do, and I'm really engaged in what I'm doing over here in my other life. I'm not looking to spend a bunch of time high. And they <clears throat> they make that they keep they keep those doors 
they keep the doors pretty oiled and they keep the locks oiled. Right, know? right. Um, because nobody gets addicted to something the first time they try it. I mean, I, I had a predisposition to this stuff because it runs in my family. Mm-hmm. And the first time I had, first time I got drunk on alcohol, it was very clear that it was not going to be the last time I got drunk on alcohol. Um, and honestly, I never for a single moment doubted that I would, that I would be an alcoholic, even when I was, even before I'd had a drink, because it was talked about in my family. Alcoholism was talked about very, um, frankly, and the, my father had it, my brother had it, my grandfather had it, and everyone was looking at me at 14 years old, wondering whether or not I was going to have it. And I wasn't conscious of it, but subconsciously I was sitting there on the chair going, yeah, I fucking have it. Mm. Um, I just knew I, I just knew I did because, uh, because that was where my interest lied. Right. My interest lay not not in being drunk, but in in that amount of you know, I watched alcohol create a tremendous amount of drama. And my dad had quit drinking a long time before I was born. So I never saw my dad drunk. But alcohol played a huge role in his life. Really? And in his, his relationship with, with his oldest son, my brother. And the drama that it created and the way that it was able to come into a room and wreck everything yeah. without even being present. I was like, who is this ghost? Really? And how do I become... I mean, and I realize you cannot be friends with this ghost, but how do I tangle with him? Um, which is like, who the, how do you look at a 14 year old and say, and address that even? Cause I couldn't have said it aloud, mm-hmm. but I remember someone saying to me in my early teen years, not early teen, I'm sorry in my early drinking years, which were in my mid teen years, someone said like, well, you know, the goal or like, have you tried, um, just having a, some, just having a few drinks. Have you tried like, because I was, I was a drinking problem immediately. Have you tried having a few drinks or like, isn't it fun to just like have a couple of drinks socially? And I remember looking at them and it never having occurred to me that you would have a couple of drinks. And, and I asked them, why would you do that? What would be the point of a couple of drinks? A couple versus one or a couple versus not 50. Well, yeah, like a couple versus as many as you can. As many as you can until there's no way to have any more. I know. Yeah, see, I still you- know people like that. 
yeah. now I still know people like that, that, that like if they're going out, you know, they're having two six packs. That's, and that's an evening for them. Why would you have one beer or one glass of wine with a meal? Like, what is that? Yeah. That's why I don't drink now, Dan, because I still <clears throat> cannot understand why you would have a couple of drinks. I just don't understand it because it feels like, why would you get that ball rolling and then stop it? <laughs> like you get a couple of drinks, two, two drinks. You're not even, I mean, for somebody my size, like that, you're not even feeling anything yet. So let's say my version of two drinks is four drinks. Well, okay. So I had four drinks. I'm starting to feel that tingle, that buzz. Like, why would you stop it? You got to, that's where you got to go. You got to follow that. Even if, even if you are leaving your friends standing on the side of the road, even if you are, you know, if it, if it ends up burning the whole place down, go where the, go where that action is. And that's why I can't, that's why I don't drink because it still doesn't make sense to me that you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't ride that horse if you're going to get on it. Get on the horse and trot around the driveway. Get off it. Go home and go to bed. <laughs> Why get on it? Uh, and I felt that that way from the first time I ever had a drink. And that's just like, I mean, it, it gets immediately to the question of what the hell is it? What the hell is drug addiction and alcohol? Why? Why was? Why are some people so emotionally primed to ride to ruin? Why do some people just want to watch the world burn? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, when I, I have never been somebody to do things to excess, whatever they've been, whether it's been drinking or alcohol or really anything. Um, I think you go to the doctor in excess. Well, I couldn't today. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't like Western doctors. I, I stay far, far away from them. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, Namaste. Yeah. But I don't know why. I don't know why that is. I don't know why. Um, what, what it is that makes me say, you know what? And I, and I generally don't drink anymore. But even when I used to, if I had two drinks, that was, I mean, I've, I've been drunk, I've been sick, I've thrown up all that stupid stuff you do in college, but as an adult, uh, you know, I, I don't, I never really got into that. I definitely enjoyed getting home, uh, from a long day at work and make mixing a martini for me and my wife and, you know, enjoying a martini or having at the time when I used to drink you know, beer or having it, enjoying a, a scotch. But, you know, for me, it was more about the enjoyment of the, of the beverage enjoyment of the relaxation, perceived relaxation, as opposed to, you know, like the idea that I would have a third drink was why, why would I do that? That would be the point where I would start to, uh, feel usually feel sick. Uh, whether that was just feeling tired, you know, and like if I had too much to drink, I would just start really getting really, really tired. <laughs> and I, maybe that's what kept me from it because like, 
I knew people that, you know, they'd be like having their third, fourth drink. They'd be like, all right, like we're getting started now. I'd be like, great, I'm going to sleep now because I'm so tired. And it wasn't good sleep. It was horrible sleep. And I don't know why, but I, I, I know people now, my age now, 30s, 40s, uh, who report the same thing. Like, wow, I can't have more than a few drinks and I'll, I won't sleep good and I'll feel sick and whatever. I'm like, I, I've kind of always had that. So I think I, that kept me from it. And I always See, that's ex- extremely lucky. You know, you're very lucky to have I, that reaction. I didn't feel lucky in college. Yeah, well, when all my friends are like, "Have more to drink," I'm like, "No thanks." They're like, "You're a squared or whatever." Um, you're but, a square, Dan Benjamin. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I never, I never really got into it but i knew a lot of people and i still know people who like an idea of a good time for them even just just a good a good evening they've had five drinks minimum minimum that's that's just that's the start of the evening so there are plenty of people listening to this show right now for whom that is this that is a good evening the sound of a good evening. And, yeah. and there, know, I don't think there, them, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying for, that's an alien, an alien concept to me. Yeah. Well, you're lucky. Like I say, I pass no judgment. Know, the, the people, the people who are able to have a couple of drinks and then stop for whatever reason, either mm-hmm. because they start to feel bleh, queasy yeah. or because it rushes to their head and they're, they're all already kind of woozy from it after just a couple of drinks or because it doesn't interest them, whatever. If you are somebody that doesn't have, that is able to have a social drink or two and never chase the dragon, Mm -hmm. I think you're the luckiest of all because social drinking is a, is a key thing around the world. You know, to roll up into a place and somebody says, Prost, and you say, right back at you. Like that's a that's a major part of knowing people and being social with people. There's always going to be somebody that's like, can I get you a drink? Mm-hmm. And if you're able to have a drink but not need a fourth drink. Right. You're in the sweet spot of life. You really are. Um, And I think a lot of people are like that. And those are the ones I envy. I do not envy the ones that can drink all night. I envy the ones that can have two or three drinks and and stop. And, Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time I talk to people like that and they say that, like you, they feel like, well, I had two or three drinks and I have to stop because I just don't feel very good. Right. And I'm like, that is the same. As far as I'm concerned, that is the same as having two or three drinks and having the moderative power to say enough. It doesn't matter why. If you're able to have a drink or two or three and quit. Right. I mean, I think, I think the goal, I think it's such a gift. I think it's about the goal of it. I think if the goal is like, I like the way I feel after I have a drink or two, uh, but I don't like the way I feel after I have four or five drinks or 10. You know, I think it's, it's what is the goal there? If the goal is, um, 
is is to get to that point where you're drunk because you like feeling drunk then you you don't wouldn't why would you stop until you reach that goal that would be like endless endless foreplay um which sounds horrible but endless foreplay yeah. well that's actually a thing now yeah sounds horrible but you know, there has to be like an end goal. If your end goal is, well, let's get drunk. Then it, like two drinks. Why would you do that? A friend of mine, like he's, if, if, the, if you open up a bottle of wine, like that's basically, that's his, like that's his bottle of wine. He's going to have that. Or you, you need to have two bottles because he's going to make such a huge dent in the first one that, you know, whereas I could open up like at, at our house, we open a glass, a, a bottle of wine. That's going to last two or three nights. Between, you know, me and my wife. Yeah. Because for me, wine is more like, well, that goes along with this kind of a meal and it's going to be nice with the taste of this particular dish. As opposed to like, like a thing you drink gulping down, which I've seen people do a lot. <laughs> and, and so I don't know. I, I, I really, but I think, I think I'm incredibly abnormal in this sense. Uh, because I, I haven't known a lot of people like me. I knew one, one of my friends in college, he was trying to, um, he was rushing and he was trying to get into a fraternity and he, none of the fraternities, this is a guy really smart, really nice guy, knew how to have a good time, uh, but just didn't really drink. And none of the frats wanted him because of that. Um, no, none of them wanted him. And he was like not used to just flat out being rejected to things that he wanted to do or tried to do or tried to get in. And a really nice guy. And just like that really hurt him, but he was unwilling to just drink for the sake of drinking. It wasn't something that he did, but he could not get into it. And he wound up not being in any fraternity because none would have him. And he's like, I don't understand why these fraternities are letting these bozos, these, you know, guys that are ripping off their clothes and streaking across and jumping in the pool and, you know, smashing their head and having to go to the hospital. Like that guy got into the frat, but I didn't. And I'm like, well, because that's what frats are about. Like you're not missing out on anything. He's like, will you go with me to some of these frat? I'm like, no, I'm not going to ever go with you to one of those. Boy, that's you can tell this guy really doesn't understand frats if no. his wingman is Dan Benjamin. That's right. Well, I know he had no wingman. <laughs> he had to find someone else. I could have got him in. Yeah, I know. I know. He would have used without your, the alcohol. He used your little bit of warlock. That's right. Uh, spiral eyeballs that's, on him. That's right. But you know, yeah, but I, I like I and I, again, I'm like I'm not passing judgment. This has been my experience. I can't tell you how many times I went to something and I'm like, no, no, no more for me. And they're like, why not? I'm like, well, like I'm I'm where I want to be right now. And I, I remember one time period where I intentionally tried to build up my tolerance, and I was successful. Really? Uh, it, yeah, it was sort tell of like me about that. I call it my Rasputin uh, time period. Uh, where, where did you get inside of Sarina's head? No, no. But I, you know how he had become immune. He had, he'd made himself become immune to poisons by apparently by sampling and taking different poisons. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, I figured, well, people have, they can build up a tolerance to alcohol, uh, somehow usually by drinking. 
So what I did is I started drinking alcohol in measured amounts to try and slowly over time increase my tolerance. Uh, because at the time I was doing sales stuff and people always drank. And I thought, okay, I, I should probably have some kind of tolerance so that if there's a third round that I can like participate in that. And I was successful with that. It didn't, I didn't like it, but I was able to have more to drink and it was fine. And I just, you know, built, built up that tolerance by having just drinking more each time. Okay. First I'll have, you know, a, a glass of wine or a shot of tequila or whatever, and then at, increase it. So what, what, so what, what did you get up to? Oh, it wasn't anything impressive. I mean, I could probably have had four or five drinks <laughs> before I had mm-hmm. to quit, which I mean, mm-hmm. you know, John, you've met me. I'm not a, a large person. And I have a fairly fast metabolism, and it seemed well, like- Well, lar- you seem larger than you are. I'm larger than life, You're, John. Yeah, I'll say you are. Yeah. yeah when All we, when we stuff, met, you and I were different heights, I recall. Yeah, we're still, we're still different heights. Okay. Yeah. Well, with your- You could put, you could put uh, one Dan Benjamin inside of one John Roderick, and it wouldn't really displace that much. <laughs> right, you wouldn't notice- you could sit in a little basket weave chair with a leather helmet on and goggles and drive me from inside if there was a control panel. It's sort of like a out. master blaster Thunderdome kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You could just putter around, see what it was like. See what it's like to be me for a while. Thump, thump, thump. Hey, you guys. I want to do that. That would hey, be so cool. I'm here. Brrr. Well, Dan, I, I, uh, I envy, I envy of that. What do you do? What do you, what soothes you when you are agitated and you come home from a day and you are agitated? How do you self soothe? You know, that's a really, I don't know if I, if I do enough of that or much of that when I, I used to have a really great daily meditation practice for many years and that made a huge difference in my life so much so that i had people who kind of knew me before and then like maybe i didn't see for a few years and knew and then i maybe caught back up with after and they had told me wow you're like a different human being it definitely if you have a practice like that it it has the potential to really rewire your brain even even later on once you stop doing it. Um, so, in some ways, the way that I react to stress or anxiety is different than it used to be. That said, I still get stressed out and have anxiety, and I used to, you know, I remember I remember one time period where like. I had every single day when I would get home or at five o'clock every day, I would have like a really strong martini. It was just, that was just every single day. And that went on for a while. Never really had a second one. Occasionally had a second one. That one was enough to just take the edge off and make me feel like a normal person. Um, there was times when I had anxiety and other issues, things like that, where I was prescribed uh, like low dose of Xanax that I felt like after I would take a Xanax and I was not taking a lot of it either, very little, but I felt like maybe this is like what normal people 
feel like? Because I was maintaining a, a high level of anxiety always. Like I was always anxious, always stressed out. Like they called it, my therapist called it generalized anxiety disorder where you're just walking around generally anxious, um, yeah. which takes its toll on you mentally and, and physically. Um, but now... You know, I think exercise for me is a huge, huge part of it. I exercise every single day, uh, seven days a week, pretty much. And, and that has such a huge and has had such a huge effect on me. I don't really have like a go-to thing. I mean, if I'm feeling like a super stressed out thing, yeah, there's like breathing exercises you can do that make a huge difference, but I don't really have like. Oh, I take a, you know, a bath with a candle and a glass of wine. I don't have any of that. I don't drink. I don't, you know, marijuana is not legal. I don't know. I don't really have an well, answer. I think you do. I mean, uh, learning that you exercise every single day. Yeah. I, that well, I seems like that's like an incredible, incredible gift that you're giving yourself. And I think that is, that's exactly the kind of <sighs> soothing, self-soothing Yeah, that, um, it's or I mean it's a it's a wonderful way to do it. It's a wonderful way to self soothe. Yeah, yeah. But it you know like it takes it it takes time. And for me that that all came out of these issues that I was having more physical issues where the you know where the 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 person trainer doctor whoever was basically saying like you're going to continue to have this problem unless you take an active role and do something about it. Because for me like uh like working out or exercising was always kind of a, you know, in your twenties and even thirties, it's sort of like an optional thing. It's like, oh, I want to lose some weight or I want to get in shape and you kind of do it. And then at some point, at least for me, it became like, well, you're going to have lots of issues unless you do this. And those issues are much worse than the time and effort and energy that you'll have to put into work out. So go do it. Yeah. But the one thing I found in my life, for me is it's fairly easy for me to um it, i i can i can be fairly disciplined with myself and my my habits and so where where self discipline is something i can do um now what do you think that is i don't no, maybe Do you see that in your kids. Are they also self-disciplined? Not in any way. Not, mm -hmm. not at all. They have anything. They have no, no discipline really mm -hmm. at all. Um, especially not my little girl, my son may be more so, but he's older. Um, but no, I don't, maybe I need to take a harder look at that, but not that, not that jumps out. And I don't, I don't know I mean, why. I don't know why that is. But d does it feel innate in you or something that you developed? No, it's totally innate. I think I was always like that. Like even as a, even as a kid, um, you know, I did stupid things and took risks and stuff. But if I would decide like, well, I, I need to start doing this now or I need to stop doing this now. Uh, that was not that's not that hard for me. Like saying, OK, I need to exercise now. And I need to eat this way. Okay. I can do that. And seven years later, you know, still doing it. Eight years later, oh. still doing it. And, and, you know, like we've talked about the paleo diet. We went paleo almost seven, eight years ago. And I've never, never cheated, cheated in the sense of eating 
things that are far outside of the the paleo diet, such as gluten or other things like that. Um, you know, if you want to get strict paleo, they would say no dairy. They would say no sugar. Well, yeah, I have dairy from time to time, and I have sugar things with sugar in it too. But I'm talking about the 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 bigger definition of paleo. Like, I've never cheated in a sense of like oh, I just had a slice of pizza. I just really wanted one, or oh, I just had a bun with that burger. No, like I've and I've never. It's never occurred to me to do that. And there's no part of my brain that that misses those things. Those things are simply they're no longer food to me. And the same way that most people probably wouldn't crave eating a rock or a piece of cardboard, it never occurs to me to to eat those things. Those are off the menu now, and I don't have any wow. emo- I don't have any emotion about it one way or another. I don't miss it. I don't crave it. Um, and you could be sitting right across from me, eating it, loving it, telling me how good it is, and I would I would be happy for you, and I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel anything else about it. Wow. And I don't know why that is. It's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Wow. Because <laughs> I, I know you try, tr- you try being uh, gluten-free for a while, and then you eat gluten again. I mean, I try everything, but I do not have – and I have a, you know, obviously like a very strong ability to plant my foot and say no, mm-hmm. but what you're describing – is feels to me like a superhuman ability to to make that kind of decision and then do that thing you you just said well, I think eloquently you turn some switch in your head where that stuff just isn't food anymore right and thereby eliminating any kind of um you don't you don't put that you don't put those things up on a on a pedestal and shine a light on them and say these are the forbidden fruits right they just disappear it disappear yeah that's a good way to say it that's a that's a like a great technique but also feels like a talent i don't know why I don't, I, yeah i don't know why i'm able to do it or or you know like like and that's why i don't i think it's but it's kind of weird for me that other people can't do that like that's the weird part for me and i know they can't and i i see it in my friends and family and, and other people that where, you know, where that's like, Oh, I just, I wish I could still eat these croissants. They were so good over there. And Oh, if I, you know, if I went to France, I would have to eat them because I would just have to break them. I'm like, okay. You know, like I see that and I know that that's, I know it's kind of weird. I don't know why it's like that for me, but like same thing. Like I, I haven't had coffee or anything with caffeine in it since maybe September, October of 2016. We're recording this in July of 2017. And uh, I had to stop. I was told by, um, you mentioned doctors, by a, by a, I was having issues with like adrenal fatigue and sleep issues and other things. And the doctor said, well, well the first thing you should try doing is cutting out caffeine. I said, are you kidding? Like I need two cups of coffee just, just to enjoy my third cup of coffee. And, uh, I can't, can't function without it. And she said, well, you're going to have to figure out how. And I said, really? Like, it's like, you're being serious. Like, really? Like, I really have to stop. And she's like, yeah, if you want to get better. And so, you know, flip that switch and I haven't had any coffee or caffeine of any kind. And I'm, you know, is that something I miss? Well, I, I, I loved waking up and having a nice warm beverage 
a nice good cup of coffee. I liked the energized feeling I felt after I would drink it quite a bit. Um, maybe, maybe a clear, very clearly I was caffeine addicted psychologically, physically, all of the above. Uh, but at the same time, it was, it was having a negative effects on me too. And I had to stop. Uh, but when I stopped, I said, okay, I, this is something I can't have that's gone now. So that was just, that was it. We would like to thank Squarespace. Make your next move with a unique domain from Squarespace. Why not? You know you want to register a domain name. Well, they do that. They're a domain name registrar now. You can also build a beautiful website there. Of course you can. You want to sell things? You can sell things there. You want to host your album, your MP3s? You can do that there. You want to put a place to put your image galleries, your photos. You want to blog. You want to make a website for your business. Whatever it is that you want to do. It's easy and affordable to do it at Squarespace. Beautiful, award-winning designer templates. You start with one. You start tweaking it with little, uh, little dials and knobs and clicking around, and you can completely change your website, make it absolutely your own. Even though you're starting from one of these templates, your site will not look anything like anyone else's site. And like I said, it's an all-in-one platform. So you can sell stuff. They got built in e-commerce. I mean, whatever it is you want to do, you can do it. Get your own domain name while you're there. It's a one-stop shop. Squarespace.com. The offer code to use is roadwork, one word, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. So go there. Take advantage of this special deal. And you know what? If you're confused, let's say you try something. You're like, oh, I don't know. I got confused. I'm confused now. Now I'm confused. What am I supposed to do? 24-7 customer support. They've got it. Why, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing it right now? I'd say I'll wait, but I can't. We have a show. So just go and do it. Squarespace.com. Offer code is ROADWORK to get 10% off your first purchase and to support the show. Thanks very much to our friends at Squarespace. Well, what is your relationship? I mean, this is obviously tough stuff to talk about, Dan, in a podcast that other people will hear. Mm. But it gets to this kind of borderland where I'm curious about your relationship both to vice and to lying. Mm. Um, you know, we spend so much time thinking about lying as a as as bad, right? We tell our kids it's bad. We yell at each other for lying. Yeah, we are. You know, we, we worry if we're being lied to and we, you know, and we tell little lies ourselves and feel both guilty and also gratified. But, you know, lying is as big a part of the way humans interact with each other as anything else. Like, how are you today? Lying, oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm all right. Yeah, that I mean, little kind, kind of, of lie, lie, but also, you know, like, like up to and including super big lies. And there are pathological lies, but there are lies of omission and there are lies of delight and there are right. lies of every kind of sort. And we each have a different relationship to lying and self justifications and, um, and feelings that, that, uh, certain lies aren't so bad. Certain lies are actually a favor to people. Mm. And that, that may not, that may not seem to be related directly to what you're talking about, but it's connected, I think, to a relationship to vice mm. and where, what kind of vice 
how does vice appeal or what role does it play? Because for me, vice, mm-hmm. by which I mean immoral or wicked tab- behavior. Well, taboo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's call it immoral or wicked behavior. Yeah. Like I have a very, a very, um, personal relationship with vice i'm tangling with it all the time yeah the 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 devil on my shoulder is always there cackling and whispering (laughs) the the angel is not a tight ass angel like you see on so many cartoons the angel is what then (laughs) it's supposed to be like the angel's like you shall not do such a thing and then the devil's like come on you can do it it's all right yeah, my angel is a fun-loving person too. My angel just wants to have fun in a way that doesn't like uh, actively. Even your so... angel's a little bit. Uh, oh vicey. sure, yeah, yeah, the angel yeah. wants. You know, the angel knows. Like sometimes <laughs> you have to hop a fence. Right, right, sure. And it's a pro- progressive not... angel. Yeah, the little devil knows who he's dealing with. He doesn't have to sit there and go like, "Come on, you should do it." Like he knows, he knows how to get to me. He's much, he's suaver than that. Right? He's like, he, you know, my little devil is like, "Look, who is really gonna get hurt by this?" Uh huh. Nobody. I mean, you know, maybe if if a couple of people found out about it, they would be hurt, but they're not gonna find out. About you know, it's that kind of devil <laughs> who's just like he's playing on my on my relationship to danger. Right. And what ends up happening is that I rise to the level of the present moment. Like I'm not out. There are some people who are seeking that ragged edge and the edge is defined by either outside elements where the edge is just like what is the worst what what is the worst thing you can do that's their edge or their edge is is being pushed internally by by needs that are pushing them far out to the edge but you know i'm very situational if i look around if i'm at a church social my little devil's like what's the most trouble we can get into here without disrupting the overall like engine of this situation. Mm-hmm. Like everybody here has a, has the, you know, these are the expectations of this room. How do we find the edge of that? Because you can walk into a church social and scandalize everybody immediately, mm-hmm. but that's not fun for me what's fun is to find the find the range the acceptable range in any given situation and then find the edge of the range and that's what makes it very dangerous for me to be in places like christiana in uh denmark where the the outside edge is further out and it was what made it dangerous for me to be in the grunge scene here right. in seattle because the outside edge of those situations was was had progressed pretty far down the road of an edge and I needed to be at the edge of where of the of the the acceptable area I did not want to be I was not pushed and motivated by something internally to 
destroy myself as much as I was pushed by something externally, which was a social motivation to explore the fringe. And so what's interesting to me in any situation is the fringe. And so I'm never bored at a church social because they've got a fringe. They've got a lot of fringe. Mm -hmm. And being in that fringe space is very fun for me. It doesn't matter that it's not actually dangerous. It doesn't matter that I'm not actually uh, getting in any real trouble. I'm getting in trouble by the definition of that of that group, that unit. So I have a real relationship with, um, with vice, with, tr- with the trouble, but it's very much socially dictated. Right. Uh, I like to play and that is all about other people. It isn't about, um, I'm not, I, I don't have some star on the horizon. That's like, come to me. It's, it's all, I walk into any room and I take the, I take the, the vibe of the room. (laughs) Right. I pick, I pick out the people that are the, that are dictating the, the rules. I pick out the people that are chafing under the rules. I pick out the people that are oblivious to the fact that there are any rules because they just like to be in the middle of, in a soft place and please don't yell at them. Mm -hmm. And I, and I say, how do I get into this? Like, how do I find the, you know, how do I get like next to the rule maker and start to subvert them a little bit? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, wee. So what is your relationship to vice in that sense? Do you have a, it, it, are you conscious of it as a social thing? Are you fighting against something in you that is trying to always get you to do bad things? Do you. Like who is your devil? Mm. Maybe I think, and what's your I think you're, you're kind of my devil. Like what would John do here? <laughs> I think. No, I don't know. I really. Um, what do you consider bad? Something that that harms some someone. That's bad. Yeah, but what? But like, let's say betrayal. Yeah. If you betray someone, but they never find out, still bad. Is that? It's still bad. Still bad. And and the person that bears the burden of that crime is you. Yeah, because it would you're, be the person the, the the person who is doing that would have the to person, bear if, that. If you if you betrayed someone, they never found out, but it would be bad because it, because you were carrying the burden of having done it. Yes. Or is it bad in the in the outside in the in the material world? Because it's a because it it was a breach of oh, a some breach kind of, of friendship, yeah, a, a breach of something that exists. Like what, like like, you, of, like your your friend, you stole your friend's car and Joy rode it and left it in a canal somewhere, and then they're like walking around. Where's my car? You're like, well, I don't know. No, no, no. If you stole your friend's car, Joy rode it. Yeah, like totally had a blast, and then <laughs> filled it up with gas and put it back. Yep. <laughs> carefully put it back and then your friend for the rest of his days bragged about how much he loved his car right yes like, i would yeah. i would feel bad about that i would feel very bad about that i wouldn't be able to to uh would enjoy you? myself on the on, it wouldn't be much of a joy ride while i was doing it 
So after the fact, like let's say, okay, let's put it this way. Let's say you had a friend <laughs> who had a really hot car and he never let you drive it. Right. And you were like, I'd, I'd love to drive your car. Nope. Nobody drives my car. Right. And then you got a crazy feeling in the middle of the night. You went uh-huh. over, you snuck in, you took his keys took his keys off his bedside table while he was sleeping. Uh, he tiptoed right. in his, took his keys. Right. Wheeled the car, didn't start it, wheeled the car down the driveway quietly, wheeled it down the road, lights off, and then started the motor a half a block away so he right. couldn't hear it. Right. Joy rode all night. You, you got, you stopped in at a gas station, you got powdered donuts, Dan, and you <laughs> ate powdered donuts in his car. <laughs> Donut powder everywhere. Right. At a certain point, you drove out by the by the uh, by the old water tower, and you took your clothes off, and you drove his car around with no clothes on. Okay, under the moonlight, and then you put everything back together. You 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 vacuumed out the dust. You drove up his street, and you cut the headlights on the motor just in time to like gravity roll up his driveway. Parked it exactly. You made a little chalk mark where it was. You parked it exactly where it was. Right. Exactly the same amount of gas, snuck in, put his keys down on his thing, and then just as the the cock crows, his alarm goes off, and you're just shutting his front door. And the next time, for the, re- for the rest of your life, you're hanging out with this guy, and he's like, I never let anybody drive my car. And so I, so I had got, I had done that thing, I'd gotten away with it. I kind of put one over on him, even though I'm the only person in the whole world that knows I did it. You did no lasting damage to the car. Right. I just put a few extra miles on it. It's not a Ferris Bueller thing where you, where you wrecked the car. Right. Do you take any pleasure in what you've done? No. You feel bad. You feel bad at having. I would. T- having- I don't know how bad I would feel. It's just that I don't think I would get anything out of it. And then I would be concerned that he would find out about it and do the same thing to something I had, but, but worse. Oh. And I don't want to, I don't want the comeuppance. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, I had, uh, when I was living in Florida, I owned a home, was in my early 20s and we're, we were very good friends with our next door neighbors who were the same age as us, also another couple and and very similar, you know, socioeconomic, everything we got along and had, had a good time, went out all the time. And um, one day I was mowing my yard and he had, um, my next door neighbor Dave, had let his yard go a little bit and maybe they'd been traveling or something and he'd let it go. So it was a noticeably taller than it should have been. And so I took my lawnmower and made, I don't know, about a six or 10 foot strip down the middle of his yard, Uh cutting it to the correct length so that he had a reverse mohawk down the center part of his yard. And this would be, uh, if anything, an, an encouragement for him to, mow the yard. Uh, and so I noticed, I heard later he was out there mowing his yard. And what he, what he did is he took, cause you know how you bag 
the St. Augustine. You got to bag it. Yeah. And he took and made a six, 10 foot line of grass clippings from his yard. He then laid in a perfect line across the middle of my yard. And that was his way of saying, there you go. Wow. A little bit of a reverse. Right. And so he flipped the script. He did. And, and, and so this is an example that was funny and, uh, you know, enjoyable, but if I take somebody's car and I drive their car all around, if they, even if they, you know, if they ever find out about it now, they've, they owe me, they have to do that back to me. And I think that's what would have kept me from doing it in the first place is saying like, I wouldn't want someone to do that to me. And so even though no harm really done, like that's an invasion of, of their personal space, their personal privacy. I wouldn't want someone to invade mine that way. So I won't, I won't do that. Mm-hmm. So I pro- that probably would keep me, you know, Jew- Jews are always uh, dealing with a lot of guilt. And mm-hmm. so I feel like the, the, the guilt has to come from some kind of a payback. I'm guessing, hmm. you know, I'm maybe, maybe God pays you back. I don't know. Oh, it might be God is paying you back. Maybe. So I like, I don't what? want to have to get paid back for that. So I'm just not going to do it. So what about but it's not fear? It's not fear. I just don't think I would get much out of doing it. It's not fear. You say, no, I don't think so. Like I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be scared if I was taking the guy's car. Like I wouldn't, is he much bigger than me? Like, could he put a hurt on me or is he? I think that's irrelevant in this situation. I think anybody, if he caught you, even if he was littler than you, he'd be pretty mad. Yeah. So he'd put some kind of hurt on you, but he's not, but there's no way for him to catch you unless you truly never know. He'd never know. Yeah. Like for instance, what if I I came into your studio and uh, Hattie was, uh, you know, doing something mm-hmm. and you went into the bathroom mm-hmm. or you had, you were somewhere and I was just kind of, you were giving me a tour of the place. Right. And I was like, you left me alone in there for a second. Uh-huh. And, I know uh, you would do something. Yeah. And what but see, if I, I already uh, expect you, I expect you that you would do something. Well, sure. Doesn't that take away well, from your, or then it would be, well, I wonder if Dan will ever figure this out. Well, that's the thing. You're going to, you expect me to do something. Loosen the screws on the chair a little bit or. I mean, that kind of pranking is, that's pranking. You want the person to find out. Yeah. I'm talking about, you know, like uh, just, just some little, something you're never going to get caught for. So what, I guess what I'm, well, I guess what I'm discovering is that you take no joy in, um, In that, in the kind of, of I guess edging, right? No right. joy in, in pushing, um, pushing boundaries. I guess not in that way. No. Well, because so I, because is, I wouldn't I wouldn't enjoy it if someone did it to me. And so, you know, generally speaking, that's a good that's a good guideline. For me, like, well, sure, would but, that person but like you it? Wouldn't enjoy, you wouldn't enjoy. You don't enjoy getting getting uh, getting pranked. No, mm-hmm. no, I don't like being pranked. I don't like surprises. I don't like surprise <laughs> parties. I don't like surprise gifts. 
I don't want, I don't right. want to because, because anytime that someone's going to try and surprise you with something, even if it's like really good, I don't, I don't want that. Like, I don't want that because if, if yeah. there's some surprise party that's happening, that'll be the day that like, you know, I had like a, like a really hard workout that morning and I'm, I'm like, I didn't eat, have a very good lunch and now I'm really tired and now great. Now there's like a party in my house when I just want to like chill out. Yeah. You know, or like, oh, I got you this oh. thing. I got you this thing. And like, great. Oh, I just, I just bought it for myself yesterday. And now I have oh, to act so like all surprised. See, I don't want that. So I don't terrible. need that. So terrible. I'll Nothing get, I'll get my that. own thing. I don't need anything. I don't like presents. <laughs> I don't want gifts. No, no none. I'm serious. No, no, I hear you. I, I hear don't you. Any, I don't need any of that. Well, one of the reasons that I could not stay gluten free <laughs> is because I have this kind of relationship with, with, um, like a temp, like a temptation. Like you're sitting there looking at that, at that, uh, donut oh, shop. Every time you walk voodoo donuts, every time you walk past it, whatever. I have no, I have no, uh, I'm not enticed by voodoo donuts, yeah. but, but I do, <laughs> I do have, I do have a relationship with, um, doing bad and it's and because it's situational little situations like one where I have said I'm not going to have any pizza it's so then I have such easy access to an opportunity to do bad and it's an opportunity that doesn't Nobody gets messed up. Nobody, no money is lost. Mm -hmm. I don't have to vacuum up any powdered donut sugar out of somebody's car. <laughs> right. I don't leave your Jeep high centered on a stump outside of Golden, Colorado. I just eat a slice of pizza and I get all the rush of doing bad. And so, you know, my, my life is... I, I surround myself with little opportunities to to vent that impish desire so that it doesn't build up and I do something capital B bad. Right. I, the fact that I went to Gonzaga University for two years was actually it ended up being a real gift to me because Gonzaga was a small insular Catholic school in the middle of a small sized berg in an, in the middle of the Eastern part of a, of a Western state. And the amount of trouble you could get into at Gonzaga was significant by Gonzaga slash Spokane slash Inland empire mm -hmm. standards, but wasn't really that much trouble. Just growing my hair down to my shoulders was already a massive infraction mm -hmm. that attracted a lot of, of negative attention. And I didn't have to do anything. I just had to walk out of the, out of the building. And I was already creating a stir. And that was great for me. Because if I had been at the University of Washington at that time, where it would have you would have needed to do a lot more to create a stir. I would have done a lot more. Mm -hmm. 
And so Gonzaga was this beautiful little place that I could just waltz around wearing a skirt (laughs) and it was front page fucking news because it, it scratched the itch for me. Now I can just stop eating pizza for six months right? and then have a slice of pizza and I feel like a bad boy. And it's a nice way of moderating. Uh, but it makes it impossible for me to actually be gluten-free for the rest of my life. Right. Um, because it's too enticing. Right. It's too enticing to betray myself. Oh. And, you know, that's the... That's the little dance I do all the time. You know, I don't, I don't like to, I haven't stolen anybody's car in a long time. (laughs) And, you know, it's been a long time since I put my dick on somebody's pillow. But it's largely because I've, I've directed all that energy into, um, just sitting around, just betraying myself. 